Hello and welcome to Podcasting for Christ. This is Evangelist Stacy Gibson with He's Got the Whole World in His Hands Ministry. As promised on my promo tonight's podcast is going to be the preservation of God's Word. And I probably would add the preservation of God's Holy Word, you know. And we're going to be coming from Isaiah 40, uh, verse 8. Isaiah 40, verse uh, verse 8. And uh, I'd like to, as I normally say, go ahead and lift your hands up. God inhabits the praise of his people. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. And uh, let's go ahead and open up God's Word and let's expound on it. Now, tonight I'm going to be going through a lot of material and I probably do, I'm hoping to get finished. If not, I may have to have a part two, but I'm not going to waste any time. So we're just going to dive in, uh, dive right into it. And Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of God, the word of our God, shall stand forever. Dear God, I love you and I thank you. Dear God, for all that you do. And Father, dear God, I pray that I do you justice tonight. I pray, dear God, that you would use me as your mouthpiece. The Holy Spirit would be the speaker, the teacher, the preacher, the podcaster, the evangelist tonight. And I'm going to give you all praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name, in Christ's name, that sweet, precious, holy name, I pray. Amen, amen. Hey, uh, let me get started by saying that, that God has been in total control over His Word since the beginning. He has inspired all that have penned the Bible, God's collection of books we now call the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16, you've heard me say plenty of times that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Whom you may ask, well, it's 4 verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It tells us of God's love for man. It tells us our beginnings. It tells us our purposes, our history, God's ways, God's mind, and God's thoughts tells us about God's laws, God's wars, God's judgment, the way we should live. It's the greatest love story, the greatest poetry, the greatest gift to man. Tells us about salvation, redemption, and regeneration, atonement. It gives us prophecy, the revelation of Christ, an unparalleled truth. It also tells us and warns us if we do not obey His will, receive his salvation plan it also tells us what will happen there and it also tells us how things will end up in the last days that's our bible you know the bible is full of everything we need nothing is nothing is not covered and it's god's greatest tool for speaking to man it's the b-i-b-l-e basic instructions before leaving earth Now, we know that whatever man touches, he corrupts, right? And ever since God's word has been written, man has tried to destroy it, burn it, water it down, take take away from it or add to it, twist it, twist its meaning, so to speak, and and defame its validity. Uh, You know, it is... Despite all that... Despite all that, 
this Bible that I'm speaking of tonight is the number one bestseller of all time. It's the most read book of all time, the most life-changing book of all time. It's the best self-help book of all time, the most quoted book of all time, and the only book that leads to eternal life with everything needed to show you the way of salvation through Christ Jesus and his bloodshed on the cross of Calvary. It is the most cherished book and the most despised book. Many love it, many hate it. It is the only book that reveals who you really are. It shows us our sin and it convicts us of our sin and reveals the way to get forgiveness of our sins. It teaches us how to combat the enemy, Satan, and his demons. It comforts us in time of need. It delivers us when in trouble or it teaches that God will deliver. It leads, it guides, and directs our paths. It is our light to light the way, our precepts, our testimony, our commandments, our law, our delight, our statutes, our cleansing, our hope, our liberty, our meditation. It's the order of our steps. It's forever settled, it's pure, it's holy, it's just. It's our freedom. It's our way to God, our way to get, our way to draw closer to God, how to get answers from God, the mercies and understanding of God. Kings, bishops, knights, clergy, disciples, apostles, as well as the peasant and the common man have all longed for its meaning, direction, and understanding. And more people have debated over scripture than any other book ever written. It is simply infallible and the most precious commodity one can ever own, with life's greatest decision lined within its pages. No self-help book, no motivational book by any standard can compare and change lives like the Holy Bible can. Before its pages were written, man had to depend on word of mouth to tell the greatest stories, yet, every, uh, yet even years later the stories told were inspired by God. And when God is in it, trust me, I'm a writer who, who prays for God's guidance in my writings, and God has never let me down. But in the writings, in it, the pen will write it exactly the way God wants it to be penned. The book of Job is believed to be the oldest book in the Bible. It is the most highly praised library of works known to man according to a host of biblical scholars, including Martin Luther, that came from the King James Commentary. It is included in the wisdom literature with Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. And the author of Job is, is, is uncertain. No one really knows. However, some claim it to be Moses himself. Now, Moses did give us the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, which is as well as the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and believed to be compiled around the 9th to 5th century, somewhere B.C., also known as the Torah. 
It tells us of our beginnings. It gives us God's law, his numbers, God's second law. It also tells us of God's great powers and how he is the one true God in the Exodus. Joshua takes over where Moses left off, leading the children of Israel. Judges is a time that, that, that God used judges to deliver his children when they are captive and oppressed by others because of sin. And Ruth is a great story of wisdom, loyalty, and obedience to God. Samuel was one of God's great men, a prophet, a priest, and a last judge in God, of God's people. Kings tells us of simply that, the kings of Israel. Judah and, 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 and their chronicles also chronicle the stories of the kings. Now Ezra is a great story of God's hand at work with the, with the return exiles and, and their need for a teaching. Ezra was a teacher and a priest and Nehemiah took charge of rebuilding the temple walls. Esther shows us God's great providential care for his children and as I have already mentioned, Job, it teaches us not to pray for patience, right? <laughs> it teaches that God giveth, God taketh away. And if we are faithful, God giveth again. The Psalms, my favorite book for comfort and guidance. And I can say I've read Psalms more than any other book. It is for sure my go-to book in time of need. Proverbs gives us wisdom and understanding. Ecclesiastes gives us wisdom and, and, and that all is vanity. Song of Solomon gives us a great love story. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Ezekiel were God's major prophets leading up to, leading up to and through the exile of captivity in Babylon. The only exception is Isaiah. He did not go through the exile. He was a major prophet who foretold of the coming Messiah and many other things. Now, Daniel gives us some of the most profound scripture in the Bible on how to stand up for God amidst adversity and the threat of death. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi were all of God's minor prophets preaching to God's children, some to Israel, some to Judah, all giving warnings, calls to repentance, and showing God's love for his children. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, giving us the gospel truth. And John tells us who Jesus Christ is. The other gospel, he tells us what he said, what he did. John also has no parables in it. Acts is simply just that, the Acts of the Apostles, and Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Thessalonians. Are all letters written to the churches by Apostle Paul with Timothy, Titus, and Hebrews all written to the title of the book. James, which is the way is James, by the way, is was is, is Ichabob in the Greek and is of Hebrew origin. And it's uh Jacob, uh, which is Jacobus or Jacob. So James, the brother of Jesus, and James the Apostle really should be called Jacob. Just a fun fact I threw in there. This somehow happened in the translation done by John Wycliffe back in 1330 to 1384 AD. Just a thought I would throw in here, that this little fun note here, just to let you know, uh, and there, there's a reason for it here, but James was uh, 
like the Proverbs of the New Testament and he's uh, his famous scripture of being a doer of the word and not just hearers, right? We all know that. Like I said, I'll get back to that uh, Wycliffe incident there. Uh, and I didn't know if a lot of people didn't know that, that there's really should, should be called the book of Jacob, not the book of James. But Peter, John, and Jude all take part in valuable, informative texts to live by with redemption, being good stewards, growing in grace, living in hope, in the reality and remedy of sin, our advocary in Christ, assurance of salvation, the commandment of love, judgment of false teachers, exhortations, all written by the title of the book also. In Revelations, many people make the mistake of calling it Revelations. It's Revelation. However, there is only one revelation given, the revelation of Christ Jesus, written by his closest disciple, John the Revelator, who reveals to us what will happen in the end, giving us the church ages, which we are in the Laodicean church age right now. And Laodicean means people ruling, not God. Notice that. It means people ruling represents unbelieving, materialistic church age, a lukewarm church that Christ would spew out of his mouth. Very, very, very powerful words here. As we have already established that God breathed an inspired scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, right? Since God is sovereign, all-powerful, omniscient, knowing everything, omnipresent, he's everywhere at the same time, he's omnipotent, which is like sovereign, but is unlimited in power, there is nothing he can't do. And since man is not, or does not, have these characteristics and power, and man often confuses, twists, and corrupts what he touches, how could the word of God survive? through the ages. I'm glad you asked. How do we know that we hold truth in our hands today when we open His Word? Man makes mistakes. Remember the translation error by James Wycliffe? It, it should be Jacob instead of James. The original Hebrew writings there is no J. Jesus' real name is Yeshua. It's with a Y. And Jacob should be the Jacob, right? And I should say Yechab. If I'm going to say Yechab, I'm going to say Yahshua. All right? So names and sometimes places translated into English can be lost or morphemized over time. And languages change over time. English and Spanish both have several variations of, the, of this old Hebrew name. And one, in fact, is simply James. Now, did Wycliffe make a mistake? Hmm. It is definitely up for debate. However, I do believe uh, translating Hebrew text of old was not easy. But God has had his hand in the scripture text and its meaning. Isaiah in the New Testament is spelled different ways. E-S-A-I-H. And it simply, it is simply Hebrew to Greek. That's all it is, is a translation. Isaiah, I-S-A-I-A-H in the Old Testament and E-S-A-I-H in the New Testament. Isaiah of the Old Testament's Hebrew and Isaiah is how you would say it. And the Greek is simply the, New, the Greek New Testament. My point is that man may not get it right. However, God 
since he is powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere, and his spirit guides man, that he has had it in his hand in the translations. He has had his hand in the translations over the centuries. And that maybe a name or a place may be spelled wrong, pronounced wrong, or even changed due to language uh, morphosizing over time. And you know, that's etymology, you know, and it's the study of the origin of words and how meanings change over the years. Okay? So something like that, it's, 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 it may happen. But, however, when we look at this, God's text, his meaning in scripture, its ability to save, the words written in English are preserved exactly the way God needed it to be. As long as you are not adding or taking away from scripture, you're okay, right? For me as the reader, I know the Bible has worked perfectly for me. God has spoken to me through it, guided me from it, corrected me with it, and its pages have given me great comfort. I believe the Bible I hold in my hands is the in the is the English-speaking Bible that God gave to me, not man. I will caution you on some modern-day translations, however, because they we, we need to be very careful. Some translations from Old English to Modern English do leave out, and many add in the Bible itself warns of this. Revelations 22, 19, If any man shall take away from the words of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. But let's if you back up to 18, it says, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Those are powerful, powerful statements right there, powerful scripture. The fact that the translators knew about this text leads me to believe that they would be very careful not to lose anything of its meaning. It's in translation. And I'll expound more on this as we go. The Bibles are originally in Hebrew, a complicated language that has been lost for centuries. And if it was not for the uh, Masoretes in 500 to 1000 AD, preserving the original Hebrew language, we might not have it at all. The Hebrew language was dying out, not being spoken anymore. And it is this Masoret text that Tyndale used and that King James had translated as well. Now the Hebrew language died out mostly because of the captivity in Babylon. When you are taken away from your homeland to a place that speaks another language for 70 years, it's easy to understand how this happened in Babylon and in, in Babylon and then eventually Persia. They spoke Aramaic, the common language at the time, like English is today. It was even hard on the return exiles to understand Hebrew again. Back at home, the Torah was still in Hebrew. And only few still remembered its understanding and how to read it. You know, when Nehemiah uh, 8, 1 through 8, Ezra stood up to read the scrolls in Hebrew, they may have had an interpreter to translate it into Aramaic again. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to read that, but before I read that, let's take a quick break. I'll be right back.
All right, welcome back. Uh, I do apologize. I've been kind of running through this kind of fast, but I just have so much material that I want to get to, and I want to make sure I get it all in and uh, everything. But let's go ahead, and I, I told you uh, before the break here that, you know, about them being taken away into Babylonian captivity, and they were speaking Hebrew before they went into captivity. But, you know, 70 years later of being in a, in a country, in a nation of Babylon and then Persia, uh, when they took over, that they, they spoke Aramaic, that common language at the time and everything it's easy to understand that when they returned back home that many of the jews did not understand hebrew anymore and maybe only a few wise ones did or and things and, and a lot of them they surely didn't know how to read it you know uh, as much as far as understand it as some so and and that's quite possible now and i'm going to give you here that's why i'm going to read nehemiah 8 nehemiah 8 Let's start here in verse 1. It says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before uh, the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring uh, the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women. And notice this right here. And it says, All that could hear with understanding. All right. Now, upon the first day of the seventh month, and he read thereon before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. And we complain because our preacher speaks a little bit long, right? But let me just tell you right here, they, they, they wanted to hear God's word. They understood the importance of God's word. And they and it says that they from morning till midday before the men and the women and those that could understand. Okay, now notice they keep saying this word understand a lot. You know, and it's not, and you know, we could even look at this. Hey, they're expounding on God's word just like a pastor will do today to the congregation, you know. Or either, you know, they needed some understanding. That's why I say that maybe there was an interpreter there to translate the Hebrew into Aramaic. Hmm. And it, go ahead and it, go moving on. It says, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Attentive. Boy, if we could get people to be attentive in our church services today. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purposes. And beside him stood uh, Mathetatha and Shema and Aniah and Urijah and uh, Hilkiah and Maseah. And on the right hand, on, on his left hand, Pedadah and Mishael and Malachiah and Hashem and Hashabadah, and Zechariah, and Meshulam. Boy, these names are kind of difficult. <laughs> and Ezra opened the book, in the sight of all the people, for he is above all the people. And when he opened it, and all the people stood up. Notice they stood up, and wow, they stood from what? Morning to midday. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God of all the people, answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up of their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua, and Daniah, and Sherebiah, and Jamin, and Akabub, and Sheba, Shabetha, and Hadijah, Mapeliah, and the Levites, notice this right here, it's what I want to get to, calls the people to understand the law. So we have a list here of like teachers or people that um, I would say maybe these were interpreters, you know, because it says they caused the people to understand the law. Now, and 
the reason I say this is, and the reason I'm going to read into this, and like I said, forgive me if I pronounce any of these names wrong, which I'm going to say I'm guilty, right? Uh, but we'll notice here that, you know, like today we have Ezra the, Ezra the priest. He's the one that brought the law, and he's the one that, that spoke and read. And we know that the, in today's times, we would say the preacher, and the preacher would expound on the word. The preacher doesn't give the word, and then he lets, uh, okay, deacons, y'all all stand up, and y'all give understanding, right? So that's why I'm thinking that maybe that these helped, you know, and I'm pretty sure there were people there that still understood Hebrew. There were people there that still under, could read it, per, per se, but, but, but maybe the majority, maybe the younger generation that grew up that was coming back, like I said, 70 years it's a long time. And it says here that the, and, and the Levites and these people listed here that caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Now, uh, I wanted to, to read that and I wanted you to understand that, that and everything and, 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 and know that, that that's possibly what was going on, uh, uh, you know, when they came back. And that's why we uh, had the Hebrew Bible. And that's why I said the, the Masoretes earlier are the ones that preserved the Hebrew uh, scrolls and the writings because it was a lost language. And eventually the pages were, you couldn't find them anymore. And it was a lost writ, uh, uh, it, was, it was a lost writings. Uh, but thanks to the the Masoretes, uh, the Masoretes, excuse me, for preserving the original Hebrew language that, that they did, because we know it went from Hebrew and, and it went to Aramaic. Now, uh, which leads us to the Targum, and that's it is the ancient interpretation of Hebrew Bible into Aramaic, and it started by word of mouth translations and. And, 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 and like in Nehemiah 8, and we know right now that it's also known as, as, as paraphrases because that's what they did. Some, you know, they, they told, the, they translated, and sometimes you translate in paraphrases. And we have here a chance of things being lost, right? In translation, because here's our first translation was from, from Hebrew to Aramaic. So there's a chance of something going wrong here in translation, is it not? But however, again, I will say God is in control. And as time passed, you guessed it, Aramaic died out and the popular language was Greek. So again, the Hebrew scriptures needed to be translated, known as the Greek Septuagint. Septuagint. And at the school of Alexandria, which is in Egypt, Septuagint. There we go. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I knew I'd get it right. Uh, and the at the school of Alexandria in Egypt, it was founded in the second century A.D. was the first Christian institution of higher learning. Its seventy-two Jews, Jew, excuse me, seventy-two Jewish scholars translated Hebrew to Greek in a record seventy-two days, according to legend. And when completed, they all matched perfectly. So when by saying that, they, they did not all work on it together with discussion or debate. All 72 scholars translated and came up with the same text. That in itself really was a miracle, right? And shows God's work in, preser in preservation of Scripture. On a side note, in Jesus' day, many 
Jews did not accept the Septuagint, and many still spoke Aramaic, and translations even in our English Bibles still have Aramaic statements such as Matthew 27:46, Eliah, Eliah, Lama Sabachthani. It's Aramaic. It's Aramaic. It's Aramaic meaning, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Scripture has gone from Hebrew to Aramaic, and now it's moved over to Greek. Hmm. Now, in 1330 AD, the Vulgate, it's a Latin translation of the Bible. St. Jerome was assigned to translate the Vulgate, and it was adopted as the official text for the Roman Catholic Church. And for 1,500 years, Catholics used the Vulgate, sadly to their advantage. In around 500 AD, Latin, like Hebrew and Aramaic languages, was dying out. And around it was around around the fall of Rome, and then people started speaking Italian and Spanish, and French emerged. And no translations were made available for them, so most all people depended on the hierarchy, clergy of the Roman Catholic Church, to interpret Scripture and give its meaning. Rome refused to have it translated into their native tongues. Reformation was on the rise. The Roman Catholic Church called for the council, known as the Council of Trent, where Protestantism was declared heresy. It was a counter-reformation. While all of this was going on, we also had what is known as the Great Schism. Before I say the great schism here, I want you to know Catholic means universal, and I'm probably going to do a uh, podcast on Catholicism eventually, uh, just to let you know. I want people to understand the church and where it came from, just like I want you to understand our Bible and how where it came from and the preservation of it. That's what we're doing tonight. But Catholic means universal, and there is a one universal church. It's a church that Jesus Christ founded. That is a universal church. Now, the Roman Catholic Church is full of heresy. And I'll, like I said, I'm not going to get into all that tonight now. And the split was the Orthodox Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church. And Orthodox simply means true and correct. And, and I may even do a podcast on the Orthodox Church, too, and everything. But back to the counter, the, I mean, excuse me, back to the Great Schism. The East and the West collided, and the Empire was split. The Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church could not agree on political and theological views. There was also a lot of people that was just stubborn and big-headed and, and, and didn't want to be humble and, 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 and agree to disagree at the time. And it was led by, early by iconoclasm, and which is the rejection of religious images as, as heretical, heretic, heretical. There's that word again, right? And the final, hey man, and the final straw was truth about the Trinity, where the Holy Spirit proceeds from God the Father alone or from both, the Father and the Son. Philoku is, is a Latin term meaning and the Son. And it's originally the Nicene Creed uh, stated simply that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. The West suggested that the Philoku should be included, and the Roman Catholic Church added Philoku. All right, and the Eastern bishops accused the Pope and his bishops of heresy. 
and neither side could agree which led to ex which led to excommunication of one of one another. And this disagreement still exists today. I, I do believe that they've uh, today they have agreed to disagree, but when they read certain things together and they come together, one will say it one way and one will say it the other way. And that's another podcast too, as well, because I don't have time to go into that. But hey, go look at the Nicene Creed. Uh, go look at the uh, uh, the Great Schism. Go do some research on those. It's some great reading and and and, and things to educate you on some of the things in our history of the church. Now this uh, let's now let's let's get back to the fact about the Roman Catholic Church did not want the common man to to be able to interpret Scripture. They wanted to be able to tell the people what it said and control them. Hence, Reformation was forming, and God was still in control in the preservation of His Word. I want you to know that I'm going to say that many times tonight, because over and over again, no matter what seems to be thrown at the Word of God at Scripture. In, 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 it, in its meaning, its text, and its translation, God has been in control. God has had his hand in it. Many people did not have Bibles. They could not afford them. You know, the Bible would cost about a year's wages if you wanted to buy one. It took 10 months, on average, around 10 months to produce. Some of the early churches, notice that, the early churches. How can, can you even fathom this, that you go to a church and they don't even have a Bible? Some of the early churches did not even have Bibles. And guess what they did? They used pictures to tell biblical stories. Even stained glass windows told stories, and some of these are seen in stained glass windows today in churches. You ever been to a church and they got a stained glass window that looks like it's got a few biblical characters in it and, and maybe some bread over there, and maybe you see Jesus, and maybe you see a multitude of people at the bottom? What is that doing? They used that stained glass window in the early church to tell what? The Jesus feeding of the 5,000. <laughs> so we see that. Now, the Bibli the Bibla. Papyrum uh, in 1300 to 14 AD was considered the poor man's uh, Bible. And, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I know it's Biblia, many books, and they call it a papyrum. Yeah, you know, that's it. It was considered a poor man's Bible, and it looked like a comic book, really, uh, when you, if you really look at it. And I can get, go online and look that word up. Let me, let me, B-I-B-L-I-A-P-A-U-P-E-R-U-M. And I want to say that because just in case you don't understand what I'm saying, that way you can write this down, and you can go Google it and look it up and see, and see what they look like, and you'll understand why I'm saying, wow, it almost looks like a comic book, because, you know, it's not, it's not a book full of words, it's got pictures, and, they, and that's what they're doing, is they're doing the same thing that the stained glass window was doing. So let me give you that again, B-I-B-L-I-A-P-A-U-P-E-R-U-M. Now, and it looked like a comic book, it was full of pictures, and it had a little small text, and it was telling biblical stories. That's why it was called the poor man's Bible, because it wasn't a big Bible. It didn't have everything in it, just a few pages of a little small book and just could tell, told uh, some short stories. Some churches, I find this crazy, right? Some church even had to rent Bibles for church services. Today, we do not, do we not take for granted we have a Bible in our homes. I'm telling you, I got a Bible. I got so many different. I'm a Bible collector now, by the way. 
I collect so many different Bibles. I want to, you know, I can't afford some of the Bibles I want. I'd like to have some of these Bibles I'm speaking of tonight, but I'm pretty sure they're a hefty price too, probably a year's wages for me. Yeah. Uh, but however, I, I got several Bibles in my home. I had a Bible in my truck, a Bible at my workplace, a Bible uh, in my study here, a Bible in the living room, a Bible in the bedroom. Bibles everywhere. What about you? Do you have a Bible? And you know, these people desired, they longed for uh, God's Word and they wanted Bibles, but you know, we take for granted that we have a Bible in our home. We have easy access and many of us have several Bibles, like I just said. And the sad thing is the early church desired to hear God's Word. They desired to hear Scripture and would have done anything to get a copy of it and to be able to read it because not only uh, did they need a copy of it, they needed it to be in their language. Imagine having a Bible and looking at it and saying, I don't understand what it's saying because you don't understand the language. But unfortunately, not unfortunately, but fortunately for us, we have the Bible written in our language. And yet we lack and fail to pick it up. We don't kiss it. We're, we're, it's not a precious commodity to us anymore. You know, God help us, right? Now I got got to move on here. Uh, uh, God was not finished. However, John Wycliffe, as mentioned before, translated the Latin Vulgate to English. Wow, we finally get an English Bible. Thank you, John Wycliffe. And the English Bible was on its way to become a life changer for the world of Christianity. Now, Tyndale, 1494 to 1536 AD, translated the original Hebrew text to English and the Catholic Church was not pleased. Many of his Bibles were burned and eventually he was martyred by the order of King Henry VIII. And at Tyndale's death, he cried open the king's eyes. Open the, king eye, the king's eyes. And later God did just that as he was allowed printing to continue of the English Bible. Now, on a side note, 83% of our English Bibles were translated from Tyndale's work. And I'm speaking 83% of the King James Bible. And I'm going to refer to that a lot because I'm going to stop at the King James Bible when I get through here. I'm not going to have time to keep going on through other Bibles. Uh, and, and, and I'll tell you why here. Now, Coverdale was an assistant to Tyndale. And he gave us the Coverdale Bible. He is also the, uh, the one who first included the... Uh, at, Apocrypha, Apocrypha, I'll get it right here in a minute, in scripture, meaning, and it means hidden, you know, and we know that uh, many Catholic Bibles still hold that, that text in the center. Now, our Bibles today, most of us, we took the Apocrypha out because we don't believe it was inspired. And that's another debate, another podcast, right? Now, we had the great Bible in 1539 AD, and during the Inquisition, by order of Pope Gregory the Ninth. For heresy, he burned many English Bibles, and it was called the Great Bible because it was the first large print with pages 9 inches by 15 inches. The Great Bible was given to churches and clergy. Even laymen were receiving it. And at St. Paul's Cathedral, notice this, I think it's wild, that six Bibles were chained to a pole so the people could read God's Word. However, they had to add a sign at the top of the pole called admonitions. 
stating that the Bible had to be read orderly and peacefully because many debates started and they began to argue and dispute scripture and its meaning. They st- in other words, they were inside the church and they were beginning to argument, heated arguments over uh, the, and debating over the God's word. So they said they, they put this admi- had to put these ad- admonitions up there. I just thought that was fascinating that they had to chain Bibles uh, to uphold it. But it finally that some people were coming in and being able to read God's Word. Now in 1551 to 1555, Robert uh, Esteem, known as Stephanus, divided and numbered texts. Now you're going to love this. I, I, I found this fascinating. Legend has it that he, as he was traveling by horse, he wrote... Every time the horse hit a bump in the road, his writings moved. Hmm. Now, why is that significant? Because it says every time the legend has it that every time he hit that bump and his writings moved, guess what he did? He added another number, making a new verse. And you know, if you read the Bible, sometimes it doesn't, or verse selection sometimes doesn't make sense as it goes from one to another. Sometimes it seems like it leaves you hanging. Sometimes it, you know, like maybe the second verse should have been included in the first verse, or the 31st verse should have been included in the 30, 30th verse, you know, something like that. But hey, again, <laughs> I just think this fascinating. Every time the horse would hit a bump and he'd move, it just okay here's verse 25 you know <laughs> oh, oh hit another bump okay we'll make this 26 but i sure I, one thing is for sure now whether this is true or not i don't know i just thought it was fascinating I, w- but one thing is for sure that i'm sure I, that god had his hand on putting verses because it, it makes it so much easier for us to go to to relate to and to memorize we can all remember we can say hey john three sixteen, right chapter 3 verse 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? And I believe me, he must have been traveling. I'll say this and I'll move on. He must have been traveling down a pretty rocky road. He also added Roman letters to text. And next we have the Geneva Bible in 1568 AD. Henry VIII, who had Wycliffe killed, now allowed printing of the Geneva Bible, answering Wycliffe's prayer to open the eyes of the king. Now, Henry VIII was followed by King Edward VI, and he continued to allow printing and reading of the English scriptures. But however, upon his death, Queen Mary in 1533 returned England to its old Catholic ways and did not allow reading and printing. In fact, she killed, she martyred many Christians and became known as Bloody Mary. This is how we get our drink, that alcoholic drink today, the Bloody Mary. The Geneva Bible was the first Bible to bring headings and marginal side notes, commentating and theological information, and the first Bible to have 10 verses out of 250 verses commented on to be Calvinistic. Now, the practice of commentating the side notes on Scripture was taken out and not again added until the 20th century by Schofield himself. Next, we have the Catholic English Bible, 1582 to 1609, also known as the Bishop's Bible. The Bible was to be used by bishops only with extras, notes, besides scripture texts that was not allowed to be read. So they had a little asterisk there, okay? And it was deemed unimportant or that laymen would not understand. So they wouldn't, anytime you've seen a verse with an asterisk, they were not allowed to read it. It was the first Bible to have footnotes. With all this going on, God still preserved his word, and Puritans in January 1604 demanded reform of the church in their millinery petition 
led to the Hampton Court Conference, which was, guess what, presided over none other than, you guessed it, King James I. In short, he declined most of their demands, however, decided to have one English Bible for all English people due to all the debates and disputes over whose Bible was right. And the birth of our 1611 King James Bible came to life. King James did not say that other Bibles could not be read. However, he appointed it the official Bible of the church to be read. A key note is that King James, uh, excuse me, the King James Bible is the most quoted Bible ever. It is the most life-changing Bible ever and for centuries has been the most read Bible ever. I will mention one more Bible before I close here. Boy, time just flying away. Uh... And I, and I had to add this Bible, even though I could go on since 1611. I know that there has been many more translations into modern English. In 1631, we have what is known as the Wicked Bible. Yes, it's just, <laughs> now this wasn't a cult or anything. <laughs> uh, and go ahead and, and like I said, the Wicked Bible. Go ahead and look this up and read this story. This is fascinating too. Christopher Barker was a well-known prominent printer and printing was big money at the time. Competition was fierce. I believe, and it is believed that sabotage was committed because somehow in the printing of this Bible, it stated thou shalt commit adultery instead of thou shalt not. The printer was fined and hefty 300 pounds. Look that up, that's great. You know, I know I flew through this tonight. I know I, I even cut my prayer short in the beginning because I knew, I mean, this right here, you could really uh, do a study on this and it could just take you days. And I believe me, I did a lot of research on this and I'm just giving you the short version, but hey, this is going to lead me to tonight's bottom line. For, for years, many believe that everyone being able to read scripture for themselves would lead to religious anarchy. However, through the death of many martyrs, through the painstaking long hours of translation, through the many satanic attacks that you've heard of tonight and the burnings of Bibles and the disputes and debates over its meanings, our Bible gives people spiritual freedom thanks to God's preservation of His Holy Word. You know, the Bible is beautiful for situation. And every time I read it, every time I read God's Word, I kiss it when I get through. Sometimes I'll kiss it before I read, but, I, but I'm for surely after I read it, I'm going to kiss it with my lips. Yes, I do. I put my lips on it and I kiss it because I love that Bible. And many times, not always, but many times, if I, I'll put it on my heart and just hold it there because that's what I want to do. I want to hide God's Word in my heart that I might not sin against Him. Hey, I'm going to close real quick. Dear Lord, I love you and I thank you for giving me this podcast tonight. I hope that I made sense. I know I flew through this, Father, dear God. I hope that it helps the listeners to understand where we got our Bible. And dear God, the most important thing that I could say tonight, well, the second most important thing, the most, the second most important thing I could say tonight is, God, I know, I know that I know that you've had your hand in the preservation of your word. And then what I hold in my hand today is exactly what you wanted me to hold. I believe that 100% that you have been total control over the, your word. And the most important thing I want to say tonight is if someone's out there, Father, that doesn't know you, if they, if, if they have never trusted in you, may they pull out this Bible 
and start to read it, Father, dear God. Dear Lord, help them, Father, dear God. Give them understanding, Father, dear God. Give them truth that they may get saved and fall to their knees and accept you and your truth that's found in these pages. Dear God, I, I pray that every listener, dear God, right now would be encouraged. Every backslider would be restored, Father, dear God. And I just pray right now that people would share this podcast, dear God. Let them share it, Father, dear God, with lost people. Let them share it with someone they know it's backslidden. And let them share it with people that just need encouragement, Father, dear God. And I'm going to be careful always to give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, this is Evangelist Stacy Gibson with He's Got the Whole World in His Hands Ministry. I thank you so much for listening to Podcasting for Christ. Thank you for putting up with this, maybe what you might call a boring episode, maybe, uh, but I promise you we'll get back to some excitement. God bless.